0: What up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, here on The Matt Baxter Show. And yeah, we're fired up. Another amazing, amazing podcast episode with Priya coming to you live from San Francisco, California. She is the CEO of Watt IQ, and you're definitely going to want to check out their company. But more importantly, just follow along with what she has going on. She's been a product manager. She's been in the product world. She's been all over the place coming to you from just some amazing, amazing stories, both in the game. Um, on the on the product side of things, founding her own company, being in marketing, being in um, just SaaS companies for a long time. And so I think she's got a wealth of knowledge. She's a fascinating individual and she's changing lives on the daily. So check out this podcast. And Priya, I just want to say thank you and keep doing the amazing things that you're doing to change the world. All right. Hope everybody enjoys. Priya, what's going on?
1: Well, is it good morning? Good afternoon? Uh, I mean, what a way to start 2020 with a podcast with you. 2022. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. Going back in time.
0: 2016. What year is it? What day is it? I kind of, I kind of have this, like... You know, every Zoom call, I mean, I'm on 100 Zoom calls back to back and I love like, you know, happy uh, Wednesday, I think. And and kind of saying that as a joke, but I kind of forget most of the time or have no idea. So I'm with you.
1: It's a little bit of a blur without the traditional vacation breaks everyone is
0: used to. (laughs) That's, That's right. So where in the world are you recording from?
1: I'm actually based out of San Francisco.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, I like to say I'm an
1: East Coaster trapped on the West Coast.
0: <laughs> you're an East Coaster. Where Where originally from the East Coast?
1: From Toronto. Toronto? I
0: like that. Yes. So we're, we're not that far. So I, I grew up in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ah. Um, spent a lot of time in Detroit. I live now live in Grand Rapids. So not that far from Toronto. Probably a little bit more similar uh, Toronto and Grand Rapids than Toronto and San Francisco is my, is my guess. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So enough about my random, you know, uh, connection of cities. So so give me, give me the life background. Give me, uh, give me the story, Toronto to San Francisco. Obviously there's a little little, little story between there. So, so give, me, give me the background.
1: I wish it was that simple. Um, I actually am one of those kids who moved around a lot. Um, so I was actually born in Sri Lanka and we left when we were kids because of the civil war that was going on. So I had the opportunity to grow up in Southern Africa for about 11 years before we actually immigrated and I became Canadian that was closer to you know, university. And um, so I did my undergrad in um, chemical engineering, uh, really not having a game plan for what I was planning to do with my degree. And um, you know, after I graduated, I think we were part of the brain drain that left um, Canada back in the days. And um, you know, so initially I lived actually on the East Coast in Connecticut and, um, and Boston. I used to work for the more traditional industries in aerospace actually of all things. Um, oh, Shri, and then-
0: Sri Lankan, South African, or spent time in South Africa, moved to Toronto, uh, aerospace engineering, chemical engineering. You said chemical engineering. Mm hmm. Okay. I, I cannot think of a more wildly interesting podcast guest. So I like where this is going. <laughs> keep well- keep rolling. Okay. <laughs> Just so you know, so- the here is about a hundred times your side compared to my side, uh, <laughs> So I'm going to ask uh, what is going to come across as want to be intelligent questions, but I'm not even going to come close. Um. No,
1: you're you're going to be just fine, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, no, I I started out in aerospace and they all kept telling me that I didn't really belong in corporate America. And they're like, you belong in Silicon Valley. I'm like, no, I belong in corporate America. Eventually, I got the message and I sort of moved into the startup space. I think it's almost going on 10 years now. Um, And that's sort of how I ended up, you know, initially going through a couple of startups that were in their later stage, uh, primarily in product management roles and eventually not what I had in my life plan, but ended up starting, um, you know, what IQ um, a couple of years ago. Um, So I think there are easier options at this point in life than doing a new startup. But, you know, when you're an adrenaline junkie like that, you, you do crazy things. You need a little bit of crazy to do this um but yeah that's that's sort of how i ended up uh, founding what iq it was totally a convoluted path never intended to be starting uh, a company in this space but i think there was just this, this huge opportunity and an unmet need which made sense to go do something new
0: so we're going to dive into the business uh in a second but um so you mentioned sort of the uh uh People saying you should be in startups, you kind of resisted that for a bit. Wanted to stick in uh, corporate America. What was the draw there? The comfort, the you know scale. What what was kind of the initial reason that you were like, no, 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 I don't want to take a leap. What was what was the what kept you there? Well, you know, back in the day,
1: startups weren't so cool. It was just very much like a Silicon Valley thing, right? It was much cooler to work for a GE back in the days, right? <laughs> and- yeah. So, you know, you read all these great books from these great corporate leaders and you're like, yes, you know, I can be successful in a big corporation. And then you find out, well, not everyone is cut out for a big corporation. And so I think I I, I was probably a bit of a rebel. I just didn't realize I was a nonconformist at that time. You're just like, I'm just trying to fix this. And everyone's like, we don't need it fixed. So. <laughs> um I
0: love it. That's probably
1: how it started because every review was like, "We don't know what to do with you," and I'm like, "Well, but I just outgrew this job you put me in like three months ago." So, um,
0: <laughs> whenever someone you know, makes a comment, I have no idea what to do with you. I'm kind of like, "Same. I, I don't really know myself." Yeah. If you if you saw this one for me, it's it, two of us win here. So,
1: correct. And and you know, I think part of it is just. You know, both my parents were engineers. I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. So, you know, the idea of being an entrepreneur, it was just different. It was new. Um, So I'd never really, I thought I was just an engineer, right? And never thought of, so, you know, startups are more prevalent now. I think people from all walks of life start companies, but I, you know, definitely didn't have that exposure early on. So it's just also a little bit of a result of the environment that you grew up in.
0: I love it. So, with two parents as engineers, um, where was uh, was sort of the well? I guess two things. Number one was there a, a lot of structure around kind of growing up and just kind of the path, and and you know, hey, this is uh, this is a very methodical path. This is very straightforward. Was, I mean, did you kind of have that? And then the other question too, with I, I guess uh, the whole engineering interest and desire was that sort of it's just the next best step. Uh, and this makes sense. And this is what I've known. Or I guess what was kind of, number one, your mm. upbringing with that. Number two, what was kind of the uh, your jump into it, whether it was the right choice or not?
1: Well, so the interesting thing is, you know, um, surprisingly, we had a lot of freedom. So, I mean, the expectation was we had to be top of class. Like that was non-negotiable. <laughs> so, so as long as we got a 100 in math and um, an A in English, we were you good. You Yes, yeah. My parents didn't understand why you would get ninety eight when you okay, could get one hundred.
0: So, well, so here, here, here's a little similarity. So I come from a family of like every male on the, my dad's side of the family is a doctor of some form, even the mm-hmm. pastor uh, who you know got his PhD, of course. And so here I am, the the only person who can you know maybe talk, but can't pass a class. Uh, my sister was like a 4.0 student, even, you know, probably like 4.5, I didn't know that was possible. And I think my family kind of accepted like, look, I don't think you're going to win people over with your grades. So why don't you get through, get what you need to do. And then, and then we'll find (laughs) something else for you. So, yeah,
1: I I mean, and oddly, you know, I think my parents really left it as an open book for us to do whatever we wanted. And I really thought I could do whatever we wanted. So the joke when we're growing up is, well, what's Priya going to be like two months from now? It was an astronaut. I, I just it felt like, you know, I didn't feel the inhibitions to just go try a new industry. And that I think ended up reflecting in my career down the road. Uh, I just wasn't scared to go learn something in a completely new space. Um, so I, I, I think it. I credit that to my parents. Like they just gave us the tools to make sure we had a good foundation and gave us the freedom to just go e- explore any field that we wanted.
0: That's awesome. Um, so you... Uh... You made, this, so, sorry, you kind of touched on this, but you jumped to um, Silicon Valley. You were working with other startups uh, before obviously founding your current company. What was, how long were you there kind of before? So remind me, uh, you've been at like three and a half, four years, is that timeline?
1: Yeah, I think I'm almost three years with this company okay, now. Three, I got engaged years? with it. Yeah, yeah. So um,
0: um, jumped into you know Silicon Valley, worked some different startups, um, and then obviously took off on your own. So uh, you spent some time out there, um, obviously kind of bopping around some different spots.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the earliest startups that I joined, it was more around their time of acquisition. So it was a pretty mature startup, um, more in the IOT, you know, before IOT became a thing, right? Um, Look in asset tracking. And it was interesting because I think I enjoyed even though it had just been acquired, I still had a lot of freedom. So I like to say I, I write in a straight line, but I like to write on a blank piece of paper. So I, I like just that. like the freedom like own, that I had.
0: Like you like your own canvas. I love that. Yes.
1: So I I hate lined paper. So I just like the freedom to uh, to create, which you know sometimes is challenging in big companies. And so that's when I found that this is this is my space, right? I'm I'm very content to continuously be learning. To be, and there's a big element of unknown in startups, as you know so well, right? You have to be comfortable with uncertainty, and it, it felt it felt like home. Um, so I think that's probably one of the reasons I just didn't go back. And then I started getting into earlier and earlier stage startups, and that's obviously an experience in itself. Um, trying to find the right team. Um, you know, right co-founder and so on. So definitely some learning curves along the way, I think, as you try to join early stage startups and navigate um, the underbelly of Silicon Valley, I would say. But um, it's been pretty exciting, I think, in the last... to eventually kind of land at this place where I was able to partner with a terrific co-founder at What IQ, and, you know, launch the company. Uh, But yeah, I think it's a learning process. I think it's just being open to rolling with the punches, right? And knowing what you don't want to do is just as important.
0: I love it. So what was the original kind of adolescent idea, problem, aha moment, this is stupid, whatever it is, that kind of led you to, uh, hey, let's explore this idea, let's explore this company, let's explore building something. What, what, where did that all begin?
1: So I actually stumbled into this idea. Um, I had been actually working on a health startup to deal with chronic disease, which will be my retirement project. Um, I love that. <laughs> and um, in the process of doing some consulting work, kind of stumbled onto this technology where the original application of this technology was around saving energy, right? It's a pretty tough business model. Um, you know, I, don't, I like to say people want to save the planet, but don't always want to pay for it. And so it was a little bit of that case, but, you know, for a long time, when I'd been in this IoT space, there was this problem around understanding asset utilization, which had tremendous economic value, but people hadn't been able to solve it elegantly and sort of the dots got connected, right? When I came across this technology, we had some customers who were potentially interested and it was a big swing to take a technology that had been applied for a completely different purpose and just go and do something totally different with it. Um, So that's what I said. Everyone needs a moment of crazy. Um, But that's how I came across it. This was not something I had planned out. But then, you know, as you look at the challenges kind of facing the world in how we uh, were consuming natural resources at a rate that's just not um, sustainable, and a lot of it is just unnecessary overconsumption. So we thought, well, what if we could empower people with the right data that we could use or consume things more responsibly? Um, You know, we could change the narrative, right? It's, It's an uncomfortable truth to disrupt industries who have relied on overconsumption to make, you know, to be viable. But I think that'll just spawn new industries as we learn to use our resources more efficiently. So probably I do like disrupting existing industries it's fun (laughs) it's difficult but it's fun
0: (laughs) a hundred percent and it's uh it's it's a perfect balance between day-to-day execution and you know going after a a huge swing of a Mm -hmm. vision whether it's disruption or whether it's creating a new market or whether it's identifying a market that's worth taking down whatever it may be i mean it's yeah no i i love it so were you uh when kind of the original I you know, idea came to be, uh, you mentioned a, a co-founder, were you thinking, hey, this is something I want to spend some time or I want to build a business around this or like, uh, you know, hey, if we're going to do the, like, was it, was it a walk before you run or was it kind of like a, nope, the only way we're going to do this is if we take the whole thing down. What was kind of your attitude as you kind of had that aha moment?
1: The latter option. I'm not knowing for walking before I can run. We jumped into it. <laughs>
0: of course. <yeah. laughs> modern I everything in moderation, including moderation, I'm like, nah, it's for cowards. I, you,
1: listen, I think, look, one of the biggest things that happens is it's easy to talk yourself out of things, right? 100%. Why do you think oh, yeah. so many people never go through with an idea that they might have had? is because you talk yourself out of it. So it's finding the right balance between thinking through your risk. And when you're going into a new market, you need to obviously have enough data points to give you the conviction, but there's also a big piece of operating in a space that you don't have enough data points. And you're going to work really hard to fill in the, you know, the missing spots in your, in your narrative, in your puzzle, but it, that's a risk. It's a calculated risk, but I mean, I don't think there's any entrepreneur who's been part of creating a new market who can tell you I had all the answers, right? And this is where the team becomes important because you're going to have to be agile. Um, I remember probably, you know, we started this business focusing on a certain class of assets that we could, you know, certain class of problems we could solve. Uh, we would be tinkering with stuff. You know, we would work really closely with customers. They would tell us, well, how about you, you know, how about solving this piece of the problem, right? And so you start expanding, you start growing and you learn. And I so... Part of it is in the early days of figuring out your product market fit to be able to work really closely with customers. And if your end goal is to solve a problem, then you're going to focus on solving the problem as opposed to just putting revenue numbers on the board, right? If you, you have to find the, find what drives you, right? Some people are driven just to make, make a number and sell the company. Some people are driven to solve a problem. Um, so you got to figure out what's driving you to do what you're doing
0: and I I will uh, I will offer a, a mildly ti- well-timed um, add to that is also understanding investors and team members yeah. where they're coming from on that too because um, neither is good or bad it's just different philosophies so like for us like we we've done a lot of uh, predominantly like angel investor uh our investors are a lot of angel investors rather than funds mm-hmm. <clears throat> and understanding kind of the thesis of a lot of angel investors are i want you to take a pretty big swing and i want you to you know hey this is kind of my quote unquote blackjack money like if it if it mm-hmm. takes off great if i lose it i'm okay with it whereas you know you could get some funds or 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 some angels that are a little bit more no no i'm looking i understand that this is a risk but the risk that i'm taking could be a 3 to 5x get whatever the number is and a little bit more like hey hit, let's hit your month, monthly goals where there's kind of a different philosophy of let's go after a big swing let's try to solve the problem and we know we might miss some of the numbers over time but we're working towards sort of the broader goal and i think kind of understanding some of the philosophy behind how folks look at that team members investors advisors and just partners you know whether it's co-founders or c-suite or whatever and i i think that's remarkably important to kind of know that
1: no and, and i fully agree right like there's investors of all ilks out there and yeah. you know it to me it's, you're getting into a long-term relationship with your investor and you will have hard times in your startup so you better make sure your values are aligned um, you hear of all the some of the horror stories of silicon valley right and there there are hard times and if you need to make the right decision which might not be in the interest of the investor right because either you're recalling a product whatever it is you better be aligned with investors who share your value that you have to do the right thing
0: yep yep no i love it um so you know the uh if you if you're gonna hit let's say a single or a double with your business what does that look like in your mind and if you're gonna hit a grand slam what does that look like in your mind
1: you know, you know, we've started initially focusing kind of on the life science sector. The technology obviously applies to a lot of different verticals. Um, I think the biggest thing for us is to see meaningful change where we can actually say that, you know, we've shown people how they can use resources more efficiently, right? Um, and I think the value naturally comes to the customer as a result of this. So... For us, really, a grand slam is to have that natural adoption take off across all verticals, but still continue to deliver value across all verticals, right? Um, I mean, I tell my team, let's just focus on delivering value to the customer and everything else is going to follow. And that's and that's worked out for us. Um, we obsess about Um, making sure we're delivering value we want to make sure customers are using the solution right not just calling them when it's time to renew a contract Um, that's just what drives us that's the reason we do this Um, instead of just going and having another job to get a paycheck
0: yep no no I I, I get it I love it Um, so in both your current business, the different companies you've worked in, um, what has been sort of a, 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 a unique value that you feel like you've brought to the table, whether you knew it since day one uh, back in Sri Lanka to you know growing up uh, and, and your transition and everything? What would you say is like, this is what I love to bring to the table. I know I bring it to the table and this is what you know feels me the most. What, what would you say that is?
1: Hmm. That's, a, that's an interesting question because not one that I've thought about very often, but I I mean, I kind of look back to what's helped me be successful is probably the ability to connect a lot of dots that people don't see are there, right, um, that eventually result in solving big problems. And probably the second piece is the ability to bring together a team that can actually execute uh, because you're never... You're never going to be able to tackle these big problems just by yourself, right? I think you need to have the right people. And definitely that is super critical in a small company, as you know, all too well. So the ability to bring together the right people to execute on this vision, I think, is important. And I've always been comfortable with not having to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> and it's, it's inevitable when you've always walked into industries that you, not, you knew nothing about on day one, right? Um, so yeah. you learn to build teams where people are far more experienced than you um, and learn how to build the right team. So I think it's probably a combination of the ability to have a vision and, and get the data points that help build that vision, but also build out a team that can execute. Um, I think one of the, maybe one of GE's leaders used to say, there are people who can talk about building the Empire State Building, but have no clue how to lay the first brick, Right. I think to be able to find people who can dream about building such things, but also know how to build that building, is what eventually helps make a successful company.
0: I love it. I love it. So, for you personally, if you uh, if you got to let's say somebody met you uh, for thirty minutes, an hour, or they knew you for ten years, whatever it was, and you got to sort of choose the impact or the influence that you had on their life, what would you want that to be?
1: I think for for me, the biggest thing I, I feel I've been fortunate to have, to come from a place where I felt like I could do anything I wanted if I put my mind to it, despite all the biases, everything that exists in the world today, right? And so... I am excited, and it it applies to my team too, right? I always tell them my job is to give them a safe space for them to stretch themselves and excel. So I think most people who know me will tell you that when they meet me, um, the conversation always ends up in be the best that you can be, right? And don't let um, existing biases and things stop you from achieving that.
0: It's so good. I love it. And my favorite question on the planet is, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: Usually, it's probably that adrenaline high of solving a problem, getting a new customer.
0: Nothing like being a CEO or founder and the biggest part of your day is uh, responding to emails, right?
1: No, that's like, yeah, it's, uh, no, that's not it. Um, I've learned not to look at my email when I open my eyes because it can just ruin your day. Uh, looking at the wrong email. No, I think. Look, what what gets me excited is that we're solving real problems, right? And when we see the customers expand how we're using our technology as we grow our customer base, it's super exciting. And we have phenomenal customers. We've been fortunate, you know. A lot of life sciences customers are very innovative, so they've been phenomenal partners as we have deployed this solution into a new space and as we're expanding its reach. Um they've been great innovation partners.
0: So for anybody that wants to follow along with the business, uh, learn more about you, track everything that you're doing, and just the world that you're changing in the best way possible. What's the wh- wh- how do they get a hold of you? How do they reach out? What's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: I confess I'm averse
0: to social media, <laughs> <laughs> which is the greatest thing of all time. I wish I was if, if it wasn't for the podcast, I'd be right there with you, to be honest.
1: I probably one of the few people who are not in. Un- Facebook or Meta anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Smart choice. Smart choice. I'm still in
1: my cave, Uh, but I am on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with people there, and definitely the the company does have a profile on LinkedIn as well. So I'm definitely happy to connect and um, you know engage with people on LinkedIn. uh, But that's
0: probably the extent of it. (laughs) I love it. Well, Priya, any uh, any last amazing words of wisdoms, thoughts, anything for the audience?
1: No words of wisdom. I I just think, you know, never stop chasing your dream. It's At the end of the day, it's always all in your hands. And two people can walk through the same situation and get a completely different experience out of it. So be the one who makes the most of
0: it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks, Matt.